Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to today's episode of Impact the World. I'm thrilled to welcome into the studio my friend Carl Deichler. Carl is a phenomenal businessman, and one of the reasons I wanted to ask Carl to do the show is he has a very rare experience. It's not many of us who are going to run and be the CEO of a billion dollar company. But also, what I knew about Carl's story was he had a single dream that he was able to expand and grow into something that touches the lives of millions of people worldwide. So you may be familiar with him from beachbody.com, which is the website for his company. If you wanted to follow Carl, you can follow him on Instagram or Facebook. Just search Carl Deichler, and we'll put the links underneath in the show notes as ever. One of the things I was most touched about in this interview is after we get under the hood of what drives Carl and what keeps him going and his passion for problem solving and believing that failure doesn't exist really rose to the surface. Toward the end of the interview, I asked him how intuition, spirituality, or faith show up for him in life, in work, and he had a really beautiful set of answers. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Carl Deichler. And for those of you who want to support our show, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, or subscribe to the show. And that's the best way that you can support us. Thanks for all the love you're showing us via comments and emails. And we hope that you enjoy this episode. Carl, thank you so much for being here. And We've been friends for about six years, and the, the reason I wanted to bring you onto the show is you have a very unique experience, because Beachbody, your company that you're CEO and chairman of, is a pretty enormous enterprise. And one of the things that you've done along the years with Stephen and I is you've been really supportive to us with what we're doing. And one of the things I often wonder about with you is how you do it, because it's so massive what you're in charge of. To someone like me, it's quite intimidating, the scale that you're operating in. So before we dig in a little bit with Beachbody and what you do now, what was your childhood like when it comes to creating, building? You know, what, what signs were there in your childhood that this was part of your design in life? Um. Two things. First, it's it's always funny to me when people characterize Beachbody as enormous, um, because um, I don't have a sense of scale. It's not like I have retail stores or anything, so there's no physical footprint that would make it enormous to me. Uh, we've had a great degree of success. Super proud of that. But to me, it's almost identical to what it was 21 years ago, and that is creating concepts and and then expressing them and producing them, and then you put them out to the world. So it's like the same day to day. It's, a, it's at a different scale and, and busier. But, uh, but f to me, I am the same guy that founded the company 21 years ago. And, um, but in terms of, you know, if I go back to when I was, I would say the 
anecdote that is, you know, probably funny or, or telling is when I was about, when I was seven, I was going into first grade, and my father would uh, every year, he's a businessman, ran this little um, sales company, and he would get a new briefcase every year. And I was supposed to get a book bag for school. But I really didn't like, a, I didn't want a book bag. I wanted a briefcase. So I asked him if I could have his briefcase from that he was about to retire as he got his new briefcase of the year. So, and I loved this thing. Like I had all my, I had a combination and I loved to open it. And I just loved what that symbolized in terms of creating and business. And when, when we did my room in my house, I wanted a big legal desk. Um, I'm, you know, I'm nine years old, and right. I wanted a big, expansive legal desk with a one of those banker's lamps, fluorescent with a little thing, and I would, and I would, and I would have my money, and my accounts, and my charts. Like I had a whole. I wanted to be transactional. And and creating something that was business-like very early. Yeah. And um, it wasn't necessarily an entrepreneurial bug necessarily, but um, I would never read fiction. We'd have to read fiction for school and it just, I, I could barely get through the books. But you give me a biography of a businessman or somebody who overcame a challenge and I can't put it down. Right. And that was at a very young age. So these are the things that were telling to me that um, that I'm a guy that likes to be engaged in things and learn about things and, and solve problems. I constantly want to be solving problems. And, and one last little bit of the story was when I, I thought my track was going to be uh, TV production and specifically sports production. And out, leaving college, my first job was to be the... Uh, segment producer, I would produce the halftime show for a nationally broadcast football game for, for this series for this whole season. It was a huge job to land at 21 years old that I, for a national show, I would produce the halftime from the truck, right? The big truck with all the cameras and everything. And I would produce the packages that they would roll and everything. And I remember it was the first game. It was Army versus Syracuse. Huge game, West Point. And, um, and there we are, I'm in the truck, we're getting ready for halftime. They take out the other producer, I sit in his chair. I'm like, what? All the, my dreams are coming true in front of me. All the monitors and all the buttons, and I'm counting them into the package, and this package is two and a half minutes long in five, four, and it rolls, and it's great. And then I go to the interview on the sidelines, then we come back to the truck, okay, we're, their teams are coming back out, and I count them out, and I'm done. My first national, First thing out of college, I walk out of the truck, have a little bit of a celebration inside my head. As I'm walking out of the truck back to wherever the production offices were, the crowd cheers huge as the game is underway and I watch the team start to play. Now this has been 15 years of dream. And I look out there and I go, oh, this isn't it. First game and I'm like, I'm just watching them do it. 
I'm not solving a problem. I'm filling space and it was cool, but this isn't it. So I've, I finished the season, finished the job, but knew I had to keep looking for something. So, you know, all of it, all of it has led to this. Yeah, of course. And so when did Beachbody, so 21 years ago, Beachbody started. Yeah. And how, how did that, start for you? Like, was that an idea that you had or that you founded with John or how did it all come about? I told you I'd tell long stories, but, um, it, it, and I'll let you edit it. Okay. Um, but it's a fun story. It, it's a really interesting story. So I owned a piece of a little company in Philadelphia called Telamerica and we would sell you know, through what they call short form direct response. Uh, so these are the things, you know, the, the direct response, the knife cutters and, you know, cutting through a can and the pocket fishermen, these kind of commercials. Right. And so we would create those kind of commercials and create products to sell in those. And um, my partner at the time said, um, you know, we've got we've to come up with diversity in, in terms of the products that we've got, we, housewares, fitness and so on. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll think about that. Cut to, I'm visiting a friend from college at his house in Chicago, and he looks great. He lost all this weight, and I'm like, dude, what'd you do? What happened? And he goes, I'm doing this, this video called Abs of Steel. And I'm like, you're not doing Abs of Steel. Come on. You, I'm absolutely not. He's like, it's fantastic. It's only 10 minutes long. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I looked at the video. It's VHS. And I look at it. I said, it's an hour long video. And he goes, no, no, no. It's six different 10 minute workouts. I'm like, wow. Well, they sort of left the coolest part of that program off the sales pitch on the because I didn't know that abs of steel was just 10 minutes long I thought it was a long thing so that sort of starts to circulate and I remember one day I was sort of lamenting the shape I was in and going God if you know if I knew that I could just do an ab workout for 10 minutes a day I would do that and I would probably and if I could get results so I was having a meeting with that partner and he said have you come up with anything for fitness and I said I got an idea and um, it's called eight minute abs. And I think that if, if I knew that I could just do eight minutes and get my, the body that I want, I would continue with it. And, and he laughed me at it. It's like, nobody's gonna pay $19.95 in a TV commercial for just eight minutes of video. And I'm like, you're wrong. I'm paying you to not give me the other 52 minutes because I don't <laughs> like to work out. That's so That's so I, I just don't want the rest of the 52 minutes. I just want the eight minutes. And I said, when we shoot it, we'll do eight minute abs, eight minute arms, eight minute legs, eight minute buns, eight minute stretch. And so for just a little bit of money, we're going to have this collection that we can sell people. And it was fascinating because like on a VHS tape, I don't know if you remember, you can see, you can see the mm -hmm. videotape. There was so little video, you couldn't, it looked empty. Right. And we sold 2 million copies of eight minute abs for 20 bucks. And we would do what they call upsell. We would upsell the other videos um, uh, when you call to order. So like that was a big hit and they, were, they would mention it in movies and like it was, it really became this zeitgeist thing. Like I, anyway, so he, uh, I said, you know, I've got other ideas like this. And I think that there's a real, there's a concept here of, this efficiency of delivering fitness information and instruction to the home so people who like me who have no desire and feel very uncomfortable going to the gym could actually work out at home and he said nah i don't want to do that and i'm like i really think that's the way to go and he said no i want to steer the company in this other direction i wasn't that comfortable with it 
we weren't getting along that well anyway, so I sold my interest in the business, moved out west, um, and did a little bit of work, inter little work, entrepreneurial work for other companies. But this idea in the back of my mind sort of sat back there, and and so then. I, made, I had all these ideas and I made a list. Do I have enough ideas that could actually support a company? And so I listed all these sort of titles and concepts that were things like, oh, that would, I would trick myself into working out with that and oh, that would get me to do it. And so this list. And uh, I was working with a guy at the time and I said, hey, would you help me with this? Because I'm creative and I can come up with the sales pitch and everything, but all that back-end stuff, credit card, customer service, logistics, all that, I would need help with that. And the guys said, sure, you know, I'll do it. And I gave him a piece of the company and then we went out and raised money. And I remember saying to one of the prospective angel investors, um, he, he, said, he said, why do you think the world needs another fitness company? There's all these gyms there's always a new crop of fitness equipment on TV. Yeah. Who says they're gonna buy from this little upstart company, Beachbody? And I said, I said, you know, I don't wanna go to the gym and the stuff that I'm seeing on TV, I know is a gimmick and gravity's free. So if we package this information in a way that people see it on TV and they go, oh, that's gonna work and I'll do that. I think whoever makes the garage or the spare bedroom or this little six by six space in the living room as gratifying and effective a place to work out as the gym is going to unlock billions of dollars of value. Um, and I, th I think we're seeing that play out now. Yeah. It, it, and it really, it sort of took the digital revolution for that disruption to truly happen. But, the, but over the course of 21 years, that's what Beachbody has been doing. Like I think we kind of, through the legitimacy of things like eventually P90X and Insanity and 21 Day Fix, we sort of pushed off the ab gadget of the year and the bun shaper step machine that was just $39.95. Like we sort of stomped those things out because, because the video was so cost effective and it just made sense. And, um, and that's how we got here. Did I answer your question? You did. Okay. You did. And it's interesting because you just named some of your products. Now, when I first met you and your wife, Isabel, I didn't know Beachbody and I didn't know what Beachbody was. But at some point, I remember sharing with a friend, oh, the company's called and I couldn't remember. And, and anybody I would mention Beachbody to, especially as I'd only been in America for a couple of years, they'd be like, oh, Beachbody. Then when I met Stephen, and I asked him how he kept fit, because you know, Stephen, my husband, he's Pilates, ex-dancer. And I mentioned Beachbody, he went, because he was a huge P90X fan. And I know so many people who your workouts have been like their lifeline. And it's interesting that here we are in 2020 with COVID and you had all of this online streaming exercise work and I'm seeing on Amazon they're selling out of all the exercise equipment and everything very quickly in March and April. So I was curious for you, I thought, well, this must have been one hell of a year because I know you had, like many people, you had lots of live things going on, but what has it done to your streaming platform with more people having to work out from home and not able to go to the gym as easily? Well, it's been explosive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the last, the last 
way you would choose for your business to succeed is because of a pandemic. Yeah. But um, to have a business that when, when literally a 40-ish, $30 billion industry of gyms is shut down, to be in the place where you've got a catalog, a st digital streaming catalog called Beachbody On Demand of 80 different programs, mm. including P90X, but we've been doing this 21 years, so we've got you 80 programs and nutrition, how to eat right and all that. And to have that catalog available to people for less than the price of a gym membership <clears throat> at this time is outrageous. Like that is, that's just sort of like th this incredible fortune to have the thing that that all these people, all these members. Now look, I was creating programs for me because I'm not gonna go to the gym. I've been a member of gyms, but I would never go because it just makes me feel uncomfortable. And I wander around and I don't know what to do and I don't feel welcome. So I like to work in the basement. I don't want anybody to see me, no witnesses. That's my thing. Um, so, so now, so it was created for the non-fitness person. Now to have this catalog, where fitness people were like, what are we gonna do? Um, and, and to be so rich with assets has just been, and we're good direct marketers. So at the same time, you have this dynamic of all these advertisers, the entire travel industry and so on, at cars, like all these things were pulling off the air. Mm. So media rates go down. So our direct marketing on social media, TV and radio, goes up because we're buying into efficiency and it's this literally perfect storm for us that um, was just built built naturally for it. And so I think we added something like 1.3 million subscribers in, in three months. Um, and we just watched this literal spike, everything, every chart is what they call up and to the right. Yeah. Um, and it was barely up and to the right. It was almost, mostly just up in, in like day after day, the numbers would shock us um, to, to the point that, you know, you know, Peloton's a formidable company. They really done an incredible job building uh, what they call connected fitness, but they're dealing with stationary bikes. It's a much higher price point for people to buy. And I remember reading a, a release that they had um, that they were celebrating, because they sort of got shut down by COVID too, they had to change their business model. And they were celebrating that, that they had like 10,000 people working out at the same time. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder what we do. And we looked at it and like that day, we had 33,000 people working out at the same time at 6 a.m. And it's like, wow, this is a real, this is like the hugest gym on the planet. Right. So it's been, it's been incredibly, uh, stunning and demanding and, and at the same time, you know, all of a sudden you're taxing systems, supply chain, because we provide supplements as well and uh, accessories and all the factories are shut down or, and, and de so demand has gone up, the factories are closing down or, or not at full capacity. So we're having to try to influence that and everybody's trying to, like you said, all the equipment is selling out. Yeah. We've got to supply the equipment. So, so this confluence of events, while fortuitous, also creates amazing uh, challenges to the whole ecosystem to still serve the customer mm. and, um, and, and 
tell them why things take longer to ship and that we're not going to compromise quality, that the, the you know, because the supplements, for instance, you know, we can't just tell everybody, you know, grow more ashwagandha. We need ashwagandha because our Shakeology uh, shake, you know, we've tripled demand for that. Well, ashwagandha doesn't grow overnight. You, mm -hmm. need, the, you need that to happen and it's got to be at the potency that we want and all that kind of stuff. So, so there's all this demand hitting us and we're like, we can't satisfy this demand. We need to tell people we can't, we have to shut this down. And so it's, it's like this, these are the things that the kid who produced the halftime at a football game and was trained in sports television and then is sort of this unlikely CEO of a enormous company yeah. is like, how do I handle this? Mommy, yeah. what do I, who, you know, cause I, there's no school for this. No. Um, and certainly not, for this kind of spike. So it, it's been a wild ride. And, you know, for anybody who's trying to change anything and influence anything, they're gonna deal with headwinds and they're gonna deal with challenges. And, um, and this has been a daily reminder to me that the, the challenge is the opportunity mm. and to never, um, to never lament. I think that's the right word. I, I don't. I, I don't dwell on poor me. I'm never a victim of the challenge. By virtue of this opportunity, I have this challenge. Yeah. So I'm thankful for it. And within that challenge is the solution. And and if we don't solve it, somebody else is going to come along and solve it. So let's solve it. And, um, and it's just been an amazing, it's really six months of, of nonstop, 24 seven, better live up to this because you're not gonna get this kind of event ever again. Have you slept in six months? Yeah, oh yeah. sure, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm up, I'm thinking a lot, yeah. uh, but uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I suffered it like that. Yeah. I would say that the days though, are incredibly intense. Like I look at my calendar of half hour meetings with no breaks between them. Yeah. And it's just, and, and they're all making major decisions in a snap. And then you're revisiting the next week, all of those half hour meetings that happened on five or six days and you're revisiting those decisions and you need to rebuild what was the rationale for that. And it's kind of a complex business because it's nutrition, fitness, peer support, business opportunity because we let people, we let customers then turn into distributors so they can actually monetize their desire to get healthy and fit and call them coaches. Um, so you've got this ecosystem that's tremendously more complicated than just being the Netflix of fitness. And so, so what's been taxing is trying to keep that all straight and create new ways to satisfy the market when, you know, for, for three months we couldn't shoot anything. Right. So if I can't shoot anything, I'm not creating any new product. Yeah. So we had to work our way around that and get creative around that. And that we got super creative around and that created new opportunities that were like, oh my God, this is a great way to express this content and make the person at home feel like they're really a part of this. So. It's been intense. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you're built for it. So to me, you're like a warrior 
It's just in this life, you're a warrior in a business versus on the battlefield. But it's the same kind of energy and focus and like relentlessness that it requires. How do you recover? Like if you get to the point where you've been running hard for many months and, and you, you need to recover or you need to balance, how, what gives you that? You know, I mean, when, when you need to take your foot off the gas, how do you, how do, you do that for yourself? Because I think overwhelm for anyone running anything is, is, is a challenge. I don't really have a good example. Um, you know, my wife Isabel and I have a, you know, an evening TV pattern with Danny, our kid. And, and um, so we'll unplug there for a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, I'll read right before bed every night. That is soothing even though it's business yeah um so you're still reading the business biographies oh yeah that's cool yeah that's you know i always have like four or five different books going and there's some that i just go back to over and over again right um but but i would say that uh that i i don't have an answer for that except i'll say that which is the lucky thing you know how they say that if you love what you do you never work a day in your life yeah so so really I would say my, my the answer for me is that I do the work that I love, and that is the creative part. So when I'm in a um, when I'm in a uh, fit of just too much, too much, too many details, too many things, and can just pull away and get into product development and problem solving for the customer. We have a mission statement, help people achieve their goals to lead healthy, fulfilling lives, okay? Mm. Help people achieve their goals, not vanity goals, not whatever, we don't impose six packs or anything. What's your goal? How can I help you get there? How can I help more people find this gateway called Beachbody? What would appeal to them? What's a creative way to express? I can get lost in that for two or three hours and be completely restored. That creative process is the thing for me. Yeah. That that solving problems and working on a supplement that that goes after something a gap that's missing in our diet. I don't like to eat vegetables and and or or I lack energy or I can't sleep or I'm not restful when I sleep. Solving these naturally rather than with synthetic solutions that turns me on so that is i'm lucky that that's the restorative thing and then every once in a while or or then the rest of the time i can go be ceo and handle the difficult questions of board reports and reviewing financials and supply chain issues and you know the stuff that that i'm not really built for one of the things that I was struck by about you, because I knew you personally before I really knew your work or saw you out there, is you're very comfortable on camera. And you're often out there, not only talking about what Beachbody is doing, but also one of the things I love about you is you're like a human guinea pig. So for example, this morning on your Instagram, you're sharing with us all that you're doing your very first 5K run in October and you've never, this show will probably air after October, so good luck with that, I'm sure yes. you did very well. Yes. Um, but I love that you put yourself in the picture, um, but how did you become so comfortable on camera? Was that something that was there from the beginning because you're passionate about this as your business, or 
has that like developed over time? Um, well, I come from a theater background, so uh, and I have, you know, uh, I I from a genealogy standpoint, presentation, salesmanship, and the ability to think in the moment is really something that I'm gifted with parents and relatives who are all good at that. Um, my grandparents were, my, my grandfathers were like classic great salesmen. Right. Great salesmen. Like my grandfather, literally, I found this book. I was going through some old books, clearing out an office, and I found this book called The Dykler Company Course of Salesmanship, a 90-day a 90-day program. Imagine the guy who creates P90X finding that his grandfather created the 90-day program hilarious. to salesmanship. Uh, and it's like literally, and I was going through it, my eyes were bugging out because it was literally, there were so many aspects of that, of what I do in the company now. So anyway, I've got these the, these genetics and my my mother was is a gifted speaker and writer and uh, my father's a great salesman and then we owned a summer stock theater outside of Philadelphia and I was in the shows as a kid. I didn't like being in the shows. Performing was like I couldn't stand it. And in fact, once they introduced me to being able to run the box office or the concession stand or the parking lot, I was like, now we got a business, <laughs> literally. That's hilarious. But but I did have this experience of you know I was in Sound of Music, I was in Music Man, so so I had a background. I I I very early um, I was around the performing arts, and so it was all very comfortable to me. And when you're in that moment, you either have a choice of you step up and you go for it, or it's not going to go so well. So you just step up and you do it. So, um, and I was lucky enough to have in my, uh, at my high school, now this is late 70s, my high school had the first color TV studio in the high school in the entire state of Pennsylvania. Now I had this theater background already, so I was familiar with all the equipment. None of the other kids in high school had ever seen this kind of equipment. And so I got in there and it was basically my playground because right. I had a head start on everybody. We had a studio and lighting. And so, so I was producing stuff all the time. We produced stuff for the State Board of Education for Pennsylvania and I would be on camera doing it. And I learned to read prompter very early. So I was around it. And um, now I will say though, I really dislike it. Um, this, I, I, this is not something that I aspire to, being on camera. Really, I am a private person, um, but I do it out of necessity and, and because it's a bit of a skill and because uh, I understand the, the unique, what they would call the unique selling proposition of each product so well that it's easiest for me to describe it as one of the people helping create these things, it's easy for me to describe it what they would call an elevator pitch than it is for anybody else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I do it. And, um, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. And um, I think I, I would say that probably my biggest challenge is to, to try not to talk too much. Right, 
Right, but you're very you on camera. Like knowing you in life, you're very you. And that's one of the things I appreciated when I first saw you, it's very real. And, uh, and that takes time normally to get comfortable with for people. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'll, you know, I'll say, I'll say particularly for anybody watching, I think it's a trap. Particularly social media has a really nasty trap that people don't think about. That if you want to portray an avatar of, of something that will be popular or will be something you can monetize, and, and you combine that with it being who you are and how you live. And now you have to occupy that standard in order to maintain your business. That is a real ugly trap. Yeah. And so I've been very careful to never over-personalize my social media and stay right in my lane. Mm. So when I'm performing, when I'm doing this, I'm doing it about the about what I what my service is, yeah. and that is helping people solve problems, providing a certain message that I think might be valuable, um, or, or helping people achieve their goals. And beyond that, I have no desire to be a star. I don't want to, like, so, so you said, being my own guinea pig, I'm, I do it very rarely. I haven't done it for all our products, but I do it for products that are that fascinate me that and that I'm interested in. So I can share them authentically and, I, and I'm not on the hook to always be this guinea pig for everything. Mm. So with in the case of 30 Day Breakaway, this program is about 20 minutes of resistance training in, in, first and then going out and running for 20 minutes with earbuds in. So, and, and this Running coach will help you learn how to run so that eventually you can run a 5K, which is about three miles, yeah. uh, after 30 days. So day 30 of this program is you're going to be ready to run a 5K. I've never done it because I've never done a 5K or any kind of race since I was a kid um, because I got a bad knee and bad ankles. And so I talked to the trainer. I'm like, can I do this? And she's like, if you do the 20 minutes of resistance training and then you do the running and you follow it the way I through the tempo that I teach you, you'll be able to do it. So I'm like, well, that sounds interesting yeah. to me. So, so then I'll put myself out there and it helps hopefully the whole ecosystem. Yeah, and also I think for me as someone who sees these videos on your Instagram and stuff occasionally, I am always inspired that you're doing these 30-day challenges. It's one thing for a company to be saying, hey, everyone do this 30-day challenge, but if the CEO, who isn't necessarily the leader of the challenge, is also putting himself in to do it too. I find that inspiring. Well, we have a, um, a thing that we call the vital behavior for our distributors, and that is that you need to be the proof the product works. Um, and so I need to be the proof the product works. And in, and in fact, that's where this concept of even letting people become coaches for Beachbody came from, is I wouldn't have finished P90X myself ever if I didn't know that my doing it would help commercialize it. Because mm. I was literally the first person, one of the first people to go through it and then be in a commercial for it. So that would help sell it. So for me, the little boy with the briefcase, yeah. I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it all the way. So I got these outrageous results. Um, and, and it was, but it was only because for me, I could commercialize it. So then I, I remember thinking, well, that, that was so compelling for me. And there's 200 million people overweight or obese 
who are like me, who don't want to work out and they don't want to eat right, but if I can make an extra buck doing it, then maybe, well, why don't we put that in the hands of the people doing the hard work? Somebody does P90X or any one of our programs and they have the ability to reorganize their busy lives to finish it and then they create demand for it because their friends and family say, how'd you lose all the weight? Like, like my friend, right? He did abs of steel and I'm like, how'd you lose the weight? And then I go buy abs of steel. He didn't get a cut of that, but he's the one that did the hard work. Mm. So in our business model, the person who does the hard work of lifestyle change, they get a piece of that for helping us create that demand. And because of that, so here I am now, I think at 56 years old, if I didn't run this company, if I ran my dream company, which would be like a pizza company, I would be in much different shape. My cholesterol would be in a very different right. state. So that's why it's your dream company, because you'd want to eat the pizza. I would eat the pizza all day. <laughs> yeah. I will probably eat the pizza after this. Interview. Right, right, right. Yeah. You've, in 21 years, you've seen so many success stories, you know, people talking about their transformations. Can you share with us one that like moved you the most, whether it's an old one or a, or a more recent one, or what moves you in general when you hear someone share how Beachbody, a product or a program or a challenge has, has changed or impacted their life? What, what moves you in those stories? They're, they're too plentiful for me to be able to single out like a, a, a transformation. And I think often the word, the, the, the name of the company, Beachbody, connotes an ideal that was not our intention. Yeah. We just crammed these two words together and all of a sudden it created a visual that people were like, well, that sounds like it's all about vanity, but mm -hmm. really it's not. Yeah. It's, about, it's about people who are more conscious of exercise, being more deliberate about staying active, more conscious about how much food and what kind of food do they put in their mouths. Doesn't mean they have to stop eating foods they love, just be more conscious about it, because we're so unconscious about it, and help other people do that. So be more active, be more conscious about your food, and help other people do that too. That's a beach body, okay? So it's it's within that. There's there's a story of a guy who um, we've recently recognized at the company. His name is Mike Mullally. Uh, he's a nurse and uh, was also, uh, I, I believe, a first responder or a nurse in the army, uh, served in um, some of the Middle East stuff. And, um, and I was watching him go through a really difficult year. He's one of our coaches, but, but I'm watching him post. And as he's responding to COVID, that like, you know, these, this, these images, and he was dealing with, I think he lost a family member during this, not necessarily to COVID, but uh, he was close with his dad. So emotionally, this guy was completely wiped out. He was leveled by what he was seeing from COVID and the panic that he was seeing and own personal stuff that was happening. But the thing that he kept doing was his workouts. And that was his safe place. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things I'm most proud of for Beachbody when we're just surrounded with COVID, COVID, COVID yeah. and politics and the divisive nature of politics. And then you can sort of unplug from that space and go, I'm going to, control this one thing that I can control, how I'm going to move, what sort of effort am I going to put into this, and how am I going to treat myself today 
in terms of the food that I eat and the acceptance of who I am. And that's what Beachbody does. And, and to, so to watch Mike go through that has been a proud moment for me this year. And you know, we recently added uh, relaxation and meditation to the platform, uh, also to help in this environment and um, to watch people embrace that and get that additional aspect of self-care uh, is really rewarding. So, you know, I, I, but I get, Lee, I get stories literally every, every single day, almost every hour. I'm tagged on Instagram. I do a thing on Tuesdays called Transformation Tuesday and I'll, the, the 10 that inspire me the most and they're not the not best vanity pictures, but they're the ones that are just like, oh, good for you. And so I'll repost those. Um, and that's the fun part of the job. That's great. So you mentioned meditation and, you know, mind and body, mind, body, spirit. So Beachbody has long been working on body and mindset. But how, I know how vital spirituality is to your wife, Isabel. And I'm curious how that thread shows up for you in your life. So whether it's intuition or faith or what you would call spirituality for you, mm-hmm. um, how does that show up in your life, in your work? What, what, what role has that played for you? Um, well, it's definitely a big problem solver. I don't think I'm as consistent with acknowledging the spiritual realm and the bigger picture consciously as often as I could be to get the best benefit from that power, I'll call it. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely aware that in the most difficult moments, um, I get perspective from teachers that I've had over the years, mostly in the form of therapists. Mm. Um, and, and I think I'm very picky about it. Um, I don't do well with new age trappings at all. Um, so, so meditation even makes makes my skin crawl a little bit close my eyes and hey Carl can we get a picture of you with your eyes closed meditating while we launch the new relaxation channel right absolutely not right um, <clears throat> you know will you carry a feather around with you no I won't but to just to, to, so the answer how does it work in my life well I I, I when I watch you and, and the, what I know of you, you to me are a very intuitive business leader, whether that's something you're conscious of or not. Just having had a few conversations with you and just the, the little I know, I, I see you as a very intuitive person, but it's innate intuition. It's not necessarily going out there. It's just that gut feeling, just knowing what's well, right. That's my experience of you. So that's why I was curious to ask Well, you. again, I'm not, I'm not super public about it, but you know, but it is what it is. Let me, I'll tell you what I do. I have two things that I do. Let me, like, before I go to, when I go to sleep, I look around my space, my workplace, and people who I have issues with, and I'll say, there is only love here. Hmm. And, And I'll say that with every problem that is irreconcilable or person who might be toxic or situation that seems unsolvable and 
with my eyes closed, I will just say there is only love here. And frankly, we're in the Zoom. Before I go on Zoom, I say to myself, there is only love here. So that anything that I say comes from that starting place. I don't always stay there. My ego might get involved, my anger, my emotions, or whatever. But at least I started yeah. from there. And uh, and you said that I'm good at speaking, or you've seen me good at speaking. Um, I, I also have a thing. Before I walk out, I learned this from an incredible therapist that I had who um, introduced me to... Um, Course of Miracles. Um, and um, so before I go out and speak, for a while I would go out and speak and I was a good speaker and I would charge everybody up and I would get off the stage and feel empty and like in my head for sure, weren't you great? Did they clap? Did they clap enough for me? And so to get to rip myself out of that, before I go on stage, I close my eyes and I say, I dedicate this moment to the service of love, mm. which I did before I walked in here. Mm. And that straightens me out. Um, I was talking to my son the other day. We were talking about an issue that he was having. And he was like, what do I say? How do I confront this person? What do I deal with it? And he's 12. And again, what I learned from a therapist, I said, he, he's like, what, what, should, what should I say? And I was like, here's what I'd like you to do. Like over there in that beanbag, there's an angel sitting there and they're just waiting for you to ask them to help you. So just this problem, what I'd like you to do is just hand it over to that angel for the night and just say, see if you can shine this up for me. Mm. And then tomorrow you can take it back. The angel will be on the beanbag all night. They're literally, they're just waiting there for you. And he's like, finally, he gave me the problem, okay. And then they'll give it back to you like you asked. And then when it comes time, the right words will come out of your mouth. And I said, Danny, what my therapist taught me was don't speak before God. Meaning don't have the, your response planned ahead of time because your mind knows the right thing. In that moment, in the service of love, the right words for you will come out because that angel is going to help you. So don't talk before God talks. So that's my spiritual line. Those are my sort of three or four or whatever tools that I use that, that, and, and I'll, I'll lose my way all the time and think about that time where that, where that angel is over in that chair going, hello, give it to me. I'm here for you, but you're not asking me to come in. Yeah. So I will consciously be like, I don't know what to do here at all. Can you help me? And that's it. That's great. Thank you. And do you have any feathers for me? I don't have any feathers for you. I'm not going to ask you to hold a feather. But um, I do have one last question for you. And it's, you know, you... One of the things you've shared with us today is just that you are so wired for problem solving and have been, and it's part of your DNA. What would you do on a day where there were no problems to solve? I will, uh, the hypothetical is impossible because 
that would also mean there is nothing to improve. Okay, so problem is a different way of saying how can we improve something. Yeah. And um, and um, I'm a, an efficiency and improvement junkie. Yeah. So so the, the, the day, that day, my job is done. Yeah. I will float off in a puff of smoke because my work is done here. Or maybe I'll surf and then I'll puff off. Right. But um, yeah, that's, I'm here to help improve. You are, you definitely are. And one of the things I loved in a speech that you gave, and it's on YouTube, it's, it's rather tantalizingly called Failure Doesn't Exist. Mm. And you were speaking to thousands of people and you talked to these people, all these Beachbody coaches and people who are part of Beachbody. And you were saying that um, I failed here more than anybody I know. I, I challenge all of you to believe that I failed here more than any of you. And you said, I fail every day because there's always something that needs improvement. And I think it's really, I think that is a really important thing for anyone who wants to go into any kind of project to go in not only being willing to understand that failure is a part of success, whatever you think failure really means, but more than anything, it's about wanting to constantly improve things. And when you get one thing right, then you go over here and you move the next thing. I think you've got to be in it for the journey. You've got to be in it for the, the joy of the constant improvement rather than any idea of outer success because that doesn't really exist. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today, Carl. It's my pleasure. It was fun. Yeah. And for anybody who wants to check out more of Carl, you can, I highly recommend following him on Facebook or Instagram, Carl Deichler, and you can go to beachbody.com to learn more about the programs and everything that they offer. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and just wanted to let you know that myself and my collaborator, Devor Bozik, have just released an album of transformational music. It's called Awaken. It features 10 tracks and the whole thing is tuned to 528 hertz. So the songs that feature on the album and the musicianship is all designed to energize, soothe or uplift you. You can find the album at awakenalbum.com where you can pre-order a CD, a vinyl, or get directed to Spotify or Apple Music. So awakenalbum.com is where you'll find it. We hope you enjoy.